This is Gareth Jones on Speed, episode 278, River Simple Rasa, part two. I'm visiting the Welsh headquarters of a radical car company who are designing and building Rasa, a prototype ultra-lightweight two-seater car. It's powered by a hydrogen fuel cell, has a braided carbon fibre shell, four in-wheel hub electric motors and stores recovered energy in supercapacitors. But the company making it won't sell you one. They would still own the car. Instead, customers would enter into a mileage package rather like the minutes and data deal on your mobile phone contract. Hugo Spowers explains how this approach could actually keep development costs down. We know historically that customers will never pay a significant premium for a more efficient car. So the industry is not going to invest extra money in making a car more efficient. And it does cost extra money. But in our case, we have a driver to excel forever on that metric of fuel efficiency. The more efficient we can make it, the more money we make. There's no point at which we say, well, we've got under the government mandate of 95 grams per kilometre, so we'll stop at 95. In our case, we want to keep on improving energy efficiency relentlessly, and we don't need policy and regulation to drive us to do so. How interesting. It fundamentally changes the economics of bringing new low-carbon technologies to market. Hmm. If you make and sell cars, you can't sell a hydrogen car until you can build the fuel cell Hmm. for an equivalent cost of the cost of a petrol engine. And cost of petrol engines is quite staggeringly low today. Mm -hmm. But to get the price of the fuel cell down to that of a petrol engine, you need to build volume. And to build volume, you need the price to come down. So it's a chicken and egg. In our case, if we can make a more efficient car, we recover all the energy savings throughout the vehicle's life for 15 years. So the equation for us is not that the cost price has to equal the cost price of a petrol engine car, but the lifetime operating costs, including purchasing it, has to equal the lifetime operating costs of a petrol car Uh in order for us to compete at the same price to the customer. Mm -hmm. So if we can make the operating costs much lower, the capital costs can still be much higher and yet we can compete with conventional technology. And we don't need to charge a premium like all the battery or hydrogen cars in the market today. Is that the key difference there? You're selling a different sort of idea. You've mentioned the fact that conventional car manufacturers are going down the hydrogen route at the moment, but they're bolting those elements onto existing chassis and they're selling you cars in exactly the same way. You're sidestepping. You're not competing with them, are you? You're coming in through the side. We're we're not competing directly, and we are sidestepping these barriers. And there are some of the major manufacturers are building bespoke fuel cell cars, like Toyota. There's some that are putting fuel cell technology into existing cars. But even the Toyotas, where they're building a new car, is built for the same production capacity. Mm. It's built with the same engineering mindset and the same architecture of car. It's still built of steel. You still need 100 kilowatts out of the fuel cell. You still end up with a two-ton car that is very inefficient. You've then got a huge problem with hydrogen storage, and you need a lot of power from a fuel cell, which is not very keen to give. And so the only solution to this is to throw money at the basic science of improving fuel cell power density, which drives the cost up at the same time as you're trying to drive it down. You've got to cram more hydrogen into a smaller volume. We're saying if you build the car in a different way and use a different pattern of relationships, all those problems go away. So 
for the fuel tank rather than trying to cram more of hydrogen to smaller volume just use less hydrogen yeah. and the problem goes away i was going to say exactly that i noticed that you've chosen to pressurize your hydrogen tank at 350 bar 700 bar is the new standard that yes. lots of other hydrogen cars are adopting now i understand why you've done that don't make it difficult for yourself don't yeah. make it bigger don't make it heavier this is like a geometric scale yes it's a logarithmic scale going down <laughs> isn't it if it's a geometric scale going up the savings are compound aren't they the lighter the smaller the simpler it becomes lighter and smaller and simpler a lighter car needs lighter brakes and that makes the car lighter so you need lighter brakes yes you know, absolutely yeah. absolutely we have these iterative loops of mass decompounding as we call it mass decompounding <laughs> that's the term i just <laughs> was searching for so the chassis of a car is governed by the heavy bits you've got to hang on to in accidents yeah, yeah. if you make those heavy bits lighter you have a lighter structure yeah. then you need less power and as the weight comes down the tires get narrower and as the tires get narrower you don't need power assisted steering systems for instance things like that so you have some other steps changes that go along the way and then you need fewer capacitors to store the kinetic energy of the car because there's less kinetic energy to store and then you need a smaller hydrogen tank because it's so much more efficient and the hydrogen tanks lighter and smaller so you have these huge beneficial it's a virtuous circle if you like yeah virtuous circle that's Mm. an even better way of describing it show me the layout of the car you've got a motor in each corner you've got a carbon fiber central cell do you call it cell yes yeah so this is the carbon structure that the people sit in in the safety cell yeah. and it goes from the firewall in front of your feet yeah. to the bulkhead behind your back yeah. that's only 39 kilos who so makes that for you? That's made by a firm called KS Composites in Melton Mowbray. It's just made on a hand layout pre-preg basis like most racing cars and high-performance supercars are. But it's designed to be braided. We've actually recently won an Innovate UK project to develop the braiding technology for making this in a braiding machine, which is how you make socks. Yeah. It's a big annular machine. Weaves all the threads onto a mandrel. And this is designed, all this structure here is designed to be woven. And that means it's automated, which means it's very reproducible, which means you can demonstrate that your crashworthiness in your test car will be reproduced in all the production cars you make. You have to show that they will consistently perform the same way, which is harder with carbon fibre than steel. But also it's more automated, lower labour costs, and there's less wastage because you're not cutting off bits of sheets. Gordon Murray's iStream Carbon, is that what they call it? Yes. Is that a similar sort of idea to you, or...? He's using simpler shapes and sections and so on. He's not doing the braiding. I don't think anybody else is doing the braiding. I know that Lexus have done a braided windscreen pillar, actually. Also, some components in the BMW i8 are braided. Ah. Originally, we were working with the Technical University of Munich who, needless to say, are very... Friends of BMW, <laughs> BMW. Yes. And that's where we first came across this approach and decided to use it about three years ago. OK, so you've got the central carbon cell. Yes. You've got a motor in each corner, and presumably you've got the hydrogen tank and the fuel cell in the boot yes. behind the driver, or in the centre of the car, is All it? the hydrogen system is in a sealed aluminium subframe behind the rear bulkhead. So if there were any hydrogen leaks, which is much less likely than with petrol, by the way, yep. uh, but that it's just exhaust through these louvers at the back of the car, and that's where the water vapour comes out from the fuel cell and the rest of it drips out as this water on the road. At the front 
of the car, we have the supercapacitors, which is where we store the energy on the braking. Now, and supercapacitors are very good at recharging quickly and dumping their charge yes. very quickly. They don't retain no. energy for a while, is that right? Well, they retain it for a long time, but they don't retain very much oh. compared with the battery. Right. So the energy storage in a supercapacitor, energy density is much worse than a battery, but the power density, the rate at which you can put it in and out, is fantastically high. And the efficiency, because it's not a chemical process. There's no chemical change goes on. It's just static electricity being stored. So you can throw a 1,000 amps at these things mm -hmm. and take it out as well. We only work at about 200 amps. But nonetheless, it's quite a big energy flow. And we've only got 45 kilos of supercaps. If we wanted to put that amount of energy in and out, 50 kilowatts, into, um, chemical caps, if into a battery, it would be a very big battery. Yeah. There are no batteries on board at all. It's all managed by the supercapacitors. No. Actually, at the moment, we've got a tiny battery but I mean it's not much bigger than a PP9 just to fire the thing up uh -huh. to switch on make the thing go live but that will go soon it's just an easier thing to implement because we've got to have a workaround to get at the caps the caps will be the source of energy to switch the car on in the near future is there any access to the tank and the fuel cell no, there isn't, there isn't. No, it's sealed in if you come over here yeah. this is the uh, uh, the Iron Bird, and the Iron Bird is a complete reproduction of the powertrain in the car. So describe so, what we're looking at here. I'm looking at a frame, an aluminium frame with a bunch of components on it. I see a motor, uh, that is a wheel, I can yes. see some circuit boards, I can see... A uh, fuel cell. That's the fuel cell. Yes. Ow! Sorry, that was my <laughs> knee. The term Iron Bird comes from the aerospace world because Martin here and Andy are both from an aerospace background, and it's an aeroplane that you have in a warehouse which you build all the systems onto right. and you test all the systems, make yeah. sure everything communicates, everything switches on and off when it should do, doesn't interfere with each other. So we've used this to commission all the systems, but also to put into the test cell at the University of South Wales to test the powertrain, to go through duty cycles, and it can climb hills, we can dial in all the aerodynamic losses, we can dial in the rolling resistance losses from the tyres, and all those things, we can collect very, very precise data about the performance of every component in the entire powertrain. Nice. You're simulating reality, aren't you, in yes. some ways, with more reality. <laughs> the fuel cell itself, I'm looking at it, it's about the size, I'd say, of a... Uh, I don't know, a satchel? And in there is a great wad of palladium or what, well, what metals have you, have you got in there? There's some platinum in there. Platinum. There's all these plates down the side here. It's called a fuel cell stack mm -hmm. because it's a stack of plates. And each one of those produces about 0.7 volts and they're all in series. And at full power, this is just over 40 volts and produces 8.5 kilowatts, which is about 11 horsepower. Mm -hmm. That fuel cell is a production item and it's built for forklifts in warehousing. So it's not something that's still a development project. It's not something that is unreliable or requires to build a supply chain. It already exists. And above and it's anything, it's simple. It's simple and it's only 19 kilos. Right. Expensive? It's reasonably expensive at the moment, it has to be said. One of the big problems with fuel cells is power density. They're rubbish at power density compared mm -hmm. with a petrol engine. So if you want the same power in half the volume, it's going to cost you twice as much. The problem with a car, of course, is if you want twice the power, your engine bay isn't going to get any bigger. Mm -hmm. So twice the power costs you twice as much anyway with a fuel cell, but you also need twice the power density. So it's going to cost you four times as much. Equally, if you only want a fifth of the power, it's going to cost you 25 times less. 
So it sounds a bit glib, but as a rule of thumb, it sort of works. So this is 19 kilos. It's only 8.5 kilowatts. The industry prototypes that we're seeing are generally over 100 kilowatts on their fuel cells. And their power density is many times better than that. So the power density of this is not exceptional. But it does mean that it's much cheaper. Uh And it also means that it's more efficient. Because when you increase the power density, you need to increase the air pressure going in. And the air pressure you increase by having a big compressor that runs off the electricity coming out of the fuel cell. So the net efficiency of the fuel cell starts to plummet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simple, light, efficient, the gains. I think I understand how the technology in this car works. I'd like to ride in a car using it and see how well it works. Yes, indeed. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to go for a drive should've, in should've the Rosa. There's a tank. The hydrogen tank. Carbon fibre. Carbon fibre with a polymer liner. That's a 60-litre tank. And it gives us a range of 300 miles. But don't and you measure hydrogen in kilograms by it weight? It is, but the actual volume inside there is 60, 60 litres. Yeah. So I just say that because 60 litres is not an unusual size for a petrol tank in no? a car. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so if you, if you make the car much more efficient and you don't need to store very much hydrogen, yeah. it means that 350 bar tanks are perfectly good enough yeah. for delivering what we need. Yeah. Now, we're not wedded to compressed hydrogen tanks or even 350 bar. We would take 700 bar tanks if they were available and as cheap as this. Right. That would be fine. All we're saying is we don't need to push the boundaries on any of these technologies right now because that will do the job quite nicely. Thank you yeah, very yeah. much. And that's a big part of it. It's got to work. Yes, it's got to work. work. Yeah. All right, let's go for a drive in Rasa. The sweet little Rasa has been rolled through a loading bay and down a ramp. And the startup procedure for this prototype at the moment is not unlike the sort of thing that you see at race cars in garages, connected up to a laptop and that's what's doing all the work is that right Hugo? Well actually we're just using that to monitor everything that's happening we have got a separate box that we press the buttons on the floor to fire up the drivetrain and then the fuel cell and those components won't be there it all operates from the key when we get a couple months further down the line but we're at the moment always running the computer whenever we're running it so that we can constantly collect data whenever we're running and if anything were ever to go wrong we would have the data as to what's gone wrong yep when I've driven hydrogen fuel cell cars so far Press a button, go. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've got all the computer up and running, that is really all it is. Let's hear it. Sounds like my washing machine. Well, that's just the compressor, which runs up to full chat very briefly when we first turn it on, just to calibrate all the things in the fuel cell, and the car's now ready to go. So the compressor controls the rate of hydrogen into the fuel cell? No, the air. The air, Air sorry, compressing the the air, because the hydrogen's already compressed. Yes, and so this car isn't completely silent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very quiet but it's not completely silent and there's a bit of a debate going on about whether we should try and suppress the noise and make it as silent as some of the other industry cars are where more and more silence seems to be always a good thing but actually we think it's quite a nice noise it sounds yeah. like a rather quiet jet engine yeah and, yeah uh, i agree quite yeah cool yeah. And, and there's reasons why of course you do want to have some noise that people know it's coming Let's get in it. Can we yeah, go? Yeah, sure. Ready to roll? Tell me your name, Mr. Engineer. Martin. Martin. Pleased to meet you. You come from the aviation side of things. Yeah, so GE Aviation and various other... Have you had a hand stuff. in the design or just the engineering or both of this car? Both, I guess. I'm an 
electronic systems engineer here at River Simple, so I get to work on the powertrain mainly. And is it your job to write the code or find the code that tells all the elements to talk to each other? I do the elements of system design and electronics, and one of my colleagues works on the software that we use to produce the more intricate parts of the system. And it works? It does work. I think Martin's been quite modest because actually on the hardware architecture side, Martin is head of all the power electronics and I know nothing about electricity. So without him, this wouldn't be happening at all. I'm going to shake your hand because I do like meeting people who are inventing the future. Thank you very much. I'm going to get in. I love these doors. Do you remember Jerry Anderson's TV series UFO? Oh, yeah, I do, yeah. Ed Straker's yeah. car. Yeah, this is Ed Straker's car and it sounds like Ed Straker's car, which I believe was a gas turbine though, wasn't it? I'm not sure, but it was certainly a cool car. It was. And this is cute. Man, it's not actually as small as I was expecting it to be getting in so I've just put my seatbelt on it's bijou but it's not cramped is it? No. Yeah. You must meet Will our, our um, main packaging engineer because he's responsible for packaging the car and he's six foot four and so you can bet your bottom dollar that he'll fit in it. Yeah. And we're rolling. It does no. make a modern noise. Do forgive the fact that the suspension is quite clunky yeah. at the moment. I think the shock absorbers have been valved for a Range Rover or something. Apparently they're loads of lease shock absorbers, but even that is far too heavy for us. Okay, we're doing, what are we doing now? 30 nearly? 45. Wow, wow, really? Wow. That's your supercapacitors dumping the energy that they've harvested from yeah. the electric motors. There's very little sort of buffering or anything that goes on. It's instant, isn't it? Yes. And in fact, it feels like the acceleration just keeps on increasing. It's linear. Um, actually, it's only linear. Uh-huh. It is a completely linear torque from naught up to 60 miles an hour. And so it feels like it's actually increasing the acceleration simply because we're used to acceleration dropping off right. as you go faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very nippy. I mean, it's small, it's light, it's like a Lotus. I mean, we keep coming back to Colin Chapman and things like that. We want it to be not just good to look at, but fun to drive. Yeah, yeah. So it's very responsive, nimble, small, light, everything the sports car should be. Not that we're claiming it to be a sports car. No, but it will reward because it's light, you know. Yes. You'll, you'll want to throw it around. How narrow are the tyres? What are the size of the tyres? They're 115s. Right. They're actually the tyre that was designed by Michelin for the front wheels on the VW XL1. Oh, right. Oh, good heritage. You've located those. Yes. So you're not going to the pick and mix of just about every piece of technology you need. Oh, we need wheels of this, spec, we need that. And what sort of response do you get? Well, Mishla, they came to see us again last week, in fact, and they're very interested in what we're up to. It's certainly for them a very different direction. They have said to us in the past that if cars go this way and get light like this, it's a bigger change for them than going from cross-ply to radial. Wow. And they need to be involved. Wow. So they're really very supportive. They're probably, in terms of the traditional mainstream OEMs, they're probably more involved and responsive with us than any of the other right. Tier 1 suppliers. They're really very good news. I love the sound it makes. <laughs> I've always said that going to Le Mans one of the treats of being at the Le Mans 24 hours is the different sound of the different cars and the different classes and the modern LMP2s with all their energy recovery in their turbo diesels and you can hear the turbos you hear the drive chain but you don't hear the motor no. and it's a much more scientific sort of sci-fi sound <laughs> you know it's cool another thing about this is that you don't actually hear the correlation 
between what you do with your right foot yeah. and what the fuel cell sound is. Yeah. If you've been driving hard, you can get to a stop and find the fuel cell. Like, we're slowing right down, I'm on the brakes now, and the fuel cell's running quite hard. And that's because it's topping up the capacitors. Yeah. So, the variation in noise is quite... It's, it's it quite out of sync with it. Yeah, it doesn't correlate. Right it's like a CVT car. It doesn't yeah. correlate with the speed you're doing. Yeah. Yes. Give me the figures then. What are the performance figures in terms of economy and distance and acceleration for the car? Right, we've got a range of 300 miles on a one and a half kilo tank. Wow. And the car is designed for local use. So it's not that we want you to do a 300-mile journey, but we want you to have a generous amount of fuel for a week's use. Yeah. Because that means you can develop a commercial market just by putting in one filling station in a tactical point where people have a reason to come once a week, shopping or whatever. And it enables you to create a commercial market with one filling station, and you can grow your market one step at a time. And a lot of people who buy a car for local use, the industry doesn't make a car for local use. We don't mean urban. So a smart is obviously an urban car, but nobody actually makes a car for local use. Yet a lot of people buy one for local use. And we think it's a very tangible segment of the market. But also, that is what has decided our cruise speed that we settled on at 60 miles an hour. And it can get to 60 in 10 seconds. In fact, on the Ironbird in the test cell, we haven't actually methodically tested that in a provable way. But putting all the data from the wind tunnel, the car's been in the wind tunnel, and the tyre data from Michelin, on the Ironbird it came up with a 0-60 figure of 9.6 seconds. Which is quite brisk, it has to be said. Yes, sir. That figure of 300 miles on 1.5 kilos of hydrogen is 200 miles per kilo, which is almost exactly 250 miles per gallon in calorific terms. Yes, that's the only way you can express that, isn't it? It's not a direct transfer, yes. unless you go via calories or joules. Yeah. And I'll just point out, when we're stopping here, there's a stop and a go pedal there, yep. and these are the gears. So that's putting it into neutral. You have to have your foot on the brake, and then you just press that, and you're in reverse. And it'll probably go as quick backwards as it will forward, won't it? <laughs> well, it could do if we didn't prevent that in the, in in the, the software. software. Hugo, shall I shut down now? Yeah, well, let's hear it go down. I like the sound. Right, so we first of all press this button here. And now we can key off. That's the sound of the future going quiet. I like that. <laughs> Hugo, we've talked far too long for this programme. <laughs> I know we have. I have to bring it to an end now, which is a great sadness for me. This car is very much a prototype. Yeah. What do you need to turn this into a car that people could buy, lease, rent, loan, or subscribe to your package? Because that's what you're advocating. What do you need? Do you need time? Do you need money? Do you need ideas? Do you need support? What do you need? Well, we've got a wonderful band of people, A, inside the company, and B, in a network, because we've been working on this for 15 years. So we've developed quite a network of academics and business people and commercial partners, all of whom have been fantastic constructive in getting where we are today. So I don't think we're needing, at the moment, more ideas. We need a little bit more time and a little bit more money. We've just opened a crowdfunding round only two days ago, and we're only looking for a million pounds in our first tranche. We have a stretch target of getting to three million in three one million pound tranches. Now, that is not a lot of money to break into the auto market because the auto market is a very big one. Mm. The model we've got is designed to enter the market with very, very low levels of money at stake and speculated and build organically. 
and the prize is huge. So we think it's a very appealing investment and we need a little bit more time. We've probably got another six months of work to do on this before the cars will be ready to go to customers. But we want to have 20 of these cars ready by the end of the year to go into a public trial. We've got a €2 million grant towards that and effectively that's what we're matching with the crowd round. And in parallel with that, we're talking to the Welsh Government about setting up a production facility, which we would like to have operational by the end of 2018. And so when you look at the billions that have gone into the Teslas of this world, it is a very cheap way of breaking into a very big market. I was about to describe the parallel between you and Elon Musk's project. Elon Musk had billions Yes. to achieve what he's done, which is not to be underestimated. He mm. set up his own space company, he set up a viable electric car and network that people want. You're doing a similar thing in a very British way, from a shed in a back garden, practically. That's <laughs> tend to be how we do things. <laughs> so much more straightforward, so much more unassuming. It's all about the idea. And the idea is right. We need to shift to cars which don't pollute our use. Yes. We need to adopt fuel cells and hydrogen as a way of sidestepping the way to carrying batteries around. These are very good ideas. What the Brits aren't so good at is turning those great ideas with clever management into reality. From the impression I've got from talking to you today is that you're thinking about a much greater thing than just a car or an idea. You're talking about a new approach. Mm. Yes, I think this is absolutely true. We took the approach to the building of the car of whole system design. We're not trying to optimise the bits of the car, we're trying to optimise the whole car. Mm. And I think if you concentrate on the bits, you end up with a pessimised whole car. So this whole system design approach is what I came to it with, because that's what motor racing is all about, and that's my background and culture. I then realised that the barriers weren't technical, they're all to do with people and politics and business. And so in the last 15 years, more work has gone into the business side than the technology side. The technology, it is a bit in a shed, but we have had a awful lot of input from Kinetic, the defence establishment, from Oxford University, Cranfield University, Imperial University. So there's quite a lot of heavyweight brain power gone into it as well. But I think it is also true that the whole system design approach applied to the business not only has dramatically reduced the risks and the barriers of coming to market, the levels at which you have to speculate, but it has forced us to think of ways of doing business that are actually much more resilient and are going to be much more profitable in the long run. Because we've had the time, if not the money, the time to think about doing it properly. And if there's one dictum I came out of motor racing with that I really live by, it's there's never enough time to do the job properly, but there's always enough time to do it twice. And you see the evidence of that all around you. And so we've luckily had investors behind us who've been not champing at the bit for a return on investment. They're more determined to see us do it right. Hugo, I wish you such good luck with this project. I get it. I get it (laughs) completely. And if this is what the future is going to drive like and sound like, I'm ready for it now. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for joining me on Gareth Jones on Speed. I'll see you lot in the future. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>